If you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning as we look again at the book of Ephesians and the following verses. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to start reading in verse 17 of chapter 4. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. I ask you to go to the Lord for prayer. Pray for me as I seek to preach this text. Pray for yourselves as well as you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray that it would be profitable for us to be here this morning as we consider what your word has to teach us. Pray that you would forgive us for our sins. Pray that you forgive us, O oh God, for any bit of uh, rebellion that is within us. Anything that we brought in here this morning with us uh, that would in any way hinder us. And pray that you would help us, O oh Lord, to put it away from us in Christ's name. Amen. And years ago, uh, there were public service announcements, and the public service announcements basically said, worship at the church of your choice. When was the last time you heard a public service announcement saying that? Worship at the church of your choice. Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa was a musician. Winston told me, when you use those illustrations, there are people there that have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Frank Zappa was a musician. Uh, he was uh, a writer of songs. He was also one who was, uh, made fun of uh, a lot of things. And in one of the songs on one of his albums, he said, Oh, worship at the church of your choice. Uh, making fun of it. Frank Zappa was not a Christian. We have been called to a different life, a different mindset, a radically different way of looking at the world. On February the 20th, 1962, Friendship 7 blasted off from Earth. The first man to orbit the Earth three times and then fall back through the atmosphere and land safely in the ocean. That man's name was... John Glenn, that's exactly right. 
He lived to be a good old age. And as he was taking off, John, I think it was Scott Carpenter, I think was his name, said this, Godspeed, John Glenn. God be with you, John Glenn. He went up again several years later in the space shuttle, a discovery, and that was not said to him. It was said again when he died, Godspeed, John Glenn. October the 29th, I'm sorry, December the 24th, 1968, there were three astronauts, and I remember this, aboard the Apollo 8. The names of those men were Frank Borman, James Lowell, and William Anders. They saw the sunrise on the moon as they orbited around it, the sun coming up. And they said this, For all the people on earth from the crew of Apollo 8, we have a message we would like you to hear. They took turns reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. The creation. John Glenn said that when he was in space and what he saw in space was so magnificent, it strengthened his faith in the reality of a creator, not weakened it. Today, would we hear astronauts reading from the Bible to those who were on earth listening? The last thing that they said was... um, Good night, good luck, they weren't Calvinist, and Merry Christmas. The last things that were said, and they signed off. In our day and age, the church is to be light and salt in a fallen world. If you listen to the television, if you listen to TV preachers, How often do you hear them really deal with the heart and the conscience? How often do you really hear them deal with the text in such a way as this is what God would have us to do as his people? I'm not the best of preachers. They're a whole bunch lot better than I am. I listen to them, hoping to learn something from them, hoping to benefit from it. But I try to be faithful to the text. And this morning, as you look at these verses, we are reminded that because we have put on Christ, because we have been born again, because we have been born from above, there is responsibility placed upon us to live in such a way as to reflect Christ in our lives. That's our responsibility. How are you doing with it? How are you doing with it? How am I doing with it? Uh, can people look at my life and say to themselves, there's something different about this individual? Or will they say, he's just like everybody else? I don't see any difference in him whatsoever. His attitudes, his actions seem to be just like everybody else's. That's not how we should be as Christians. That's not how the church should be in, in this world. When we're talking about putting on the new man, this is what Paul talks about here in the text. In the first place, putting on the new man, 
takes the responsibility on our part to live as the people of God. And verse 20 again, but that is not the way you learn Christ. There's a contrast here. Paul's looking back to what he had said in the earlier verses about how those who are darkened live their lives. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous. They're giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And as you read this, we understand this is how these people were. This is how these Christians were prior to their conversion, prior to their coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may look at your life, and you may see that before you were a believer, you weren't a bad guy. You weren't a bad girl. You're a pretty good Joe compared to other people. Apart from Jesus Christ, I don't care how moral you were. You were lost. And you were ungodly, and you were wicked before the Lord. Otherwise, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need Christ. If somehow, by our own positioning, our own efforts, we could be right before God without Christ, but we couldn't be. And so he's telling these people, this is what you were like at one time in the way you lived your life. You were ignorant. Now, you didn't know the gospel. You didn't know who Christ was. You were darkened in your understanding. But now you see there's been this radical change that has taken place in their lives so that they are totally, totally different. Christ brings change into the lives of people. If you have heart problems and you have a little nitro tablet... I don't know if they still use them or not. They did it one time. What happened is you start having chest pains. You pop that nitro under your tongue. It opens up the vessels, dilates all the vessels, eases the pain, helps the blood flow. A radical change. Well, the change that Christ brought in our lives is even more radical than that. Because we went to being one who was dead in our sins and trespasses, without Christ, without hope in the world, the Bible tells us, to one who was alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. We went from being one who was an enemy of the Lord to as one who now, according to Scripture, you're his child by means of adoption. And the little catechism says we have all the rights and privileges of the children of God. What are those rights and privileges? Well, the first place is being called a child of God. The second place, God is your father. The scripture doesn't just say that to give us some kind of language that's lofty and interesting. In reality, God, the God of all creation, is your Father. He is your Father. He loves you and you are His child. And He cares about you more than your parents, more than your spouse, more than your grandparents, more than anyone else in the world. He cares for you. And your life is in the hand of a one who is sovereign, but loving and gracious and kind. A radical change has taken place. We go from being one who is ignorant and walking in darkness to one who now has been enlightened in the things of Christ and one who now has God 
as his father. There's a change of hearts. As a believer, you see, your affections should have changed. In the first place, there should be an affection for Christ and an affection for the things of Christ. There should be an affection for the gospel. There should be an affection for the Bible. There should be an affection for personal holiness and righteousness of life. That desire should be there. That should be something that is a part of you, new affections. And as you develop these new affections, then these other affections kind of become not as important. The world, the things of the world, having your way. The pursuit of the things of this life, the pursuit of the pleasures of this life, those things should become secondary in your life and you have new affections as you are brought under a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second thing is, not only do you have new affections, you have new attitudes as well. What does the Bible tell us? Take every thought captive to Christ. We think this. And this is something, if y'all want to hear a great preacher, he's dead now, but he's got his recordings. Monergism.com, Edward Donnelly. He's, well, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to mention Mr. Begg, but he, uh, well, he's very good. Uh, Edward Donnelly is an exceptional preacher, exceptional preacher. And... Um, I listen to him. This is not his sermon, by the way. I like what I write better than what other people write. I hope that's not prideful, but it's this. I own it. This is mine, you know. I wrote it. I spent time with this. My blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of tears, went to it. So this is mine. But Edward Donnelly uh, did a marvelous job in dealing with his text. And one of the things that he said was, that our affections for the things of this world can be a stumbling block for us even after we are converted. New life begins at conversion as uh, a de- I, last Monday, I, a man named Andy Edwards, some of you all know who Andy is because uh, I don't have a car, drove me up to College Station and I had lunch with the old guard, the, old, the elders that used to be here, John Long. David Miller, Lee Joseph, and Bill Fitzhenry was there. Bill Fitzhenry is deaf. I mean, he is pretty much deaf. I was sitting right by him. He had to yell. We were in a room by ourselves. I don't tell what the people thought if they heard us. He had to yell and then yell again for him to be able to hear you. And these men were good men. These men are still good men. They're godly men. Uh, and... There arose at the table a debate, of all things, of when life begins. There was one man that said, not at conception, but not until the fertilized egg implants into the womb. And I made this statement, and if I'm wrong, don't tell me. All the DNA that is going to identify your eye color, your fingerprints, everything is there at conception. And John Long, who's a doctor, said you would be amazed how fast those cells are building on that fertilized egg. 
that human being growing and maturing. I believe life starts then. Well, for the believer, life starts at conversion. Our Christian life starts at the moment we are converted. The moment we come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a Christian. You're not kind of a Christian. You're not a potential Christian. Once you embrace Christ as your Savior, you are a Christian. And then, you see, the battle begins. In the text here, after he talks about um, uh, who they are as believers and what they did practice, what they are now by comparison, he says this, but you did not learn Christ in this way. In other words, how did you come to a knowledge of Jesus? Well, it wasn't through practicing these things. It wasn't through that at all. It was by hearing the gospel. It was by hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. You have learned Christ, he said. Notice this. This is significant. He didn't say you learned about Christ, but you learned Christ. Before I got married, I learned about Linda. I met her, and I learned about her. Superficial knowledge. But now I can say I have learned her after 137 years of marriage. I have learned her. Actually, 44. Because I've spent time with her. I've spent a lot of time with her. I have spent years with her. And I have learned her. So what Paul is saying when he says this, But this is not how you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. How did they learn Christ? About hearing the gospel, about learning about righteousness, about learning about holiness, about learning about a triune God. The things that they were taught in others were contrary to the way they used to live and the way they used to think and to the way the world lives as well. Being a Christian makes you different. Being a Christian causes you to be one who is in line with the things that God desires for you. At least you should be. And they have, as he says here, a personal deep knowledge of Christ and an abiding, loving relationship with Jesus. How did you learn Christ? By learning about who he is. By learning about what he is like. By learning about what he wants from me. And it is not that this personal interest that that comes into our lives is something that happens by action. It is a work that God does. What does God want you to be? Does he want you to be the way you were prior to conversion? One who is in ignorance, one who is in darkness, one who doesn't know his right from his left as far as uh, the Bible is concerned. And that's not where God wants you. That's not where Christ wants you. He wants you to be one who is acknowledging his presence, his greatness, his goodness, his mercy, his kindness, his holiness, and his redemption that he has accomplished on your behalf. Do you think Jesus doesn't care if you never read your Bible? you think Jesus doesn't care if you never come to worship? You think Jesus doesn't care if you never spend time in prayer? Do you think he sits back and he looks at you and says, that's okay. You're busy today. I get that. Don't worry about reading your Bible. Don't worry about praying. Don't worry about going to worship. You know, you got that ball game this afternoon. I understand that. 
That ain't Jesus. That ain't Jesus. Christ would not have us. Dr. Robertson, Palmer Robertson, some of you know who he is. He's been here a few times. He's written a bunch of books. He's a professor. Uh, he was at uh, all the seminaries, I think, and I uh, was involved in the African Bible University in Uganda. He called his students theological tadpoles. You know what a tadpole is? A little frog swims around and it matures. He called us theological tadpoles. And he didn't say this to us. It's okay if he meant to remain tadpoles. Now you've got to become frogs. You've got to grow. You have to mature. And it takes effort on the part of believers to do that. The moment we are saved, we pass from death to life. We are no longer bound by death. We are no longer held under the power of death. As a matter of fact, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have defeated death. A lack of change in the life of someone who claims to be a believer would cause a question of whether or not the conversion is true. Now, before you get upset or get scared, the change is not instantaneous. You still deal with sin, and you're still going to sin. But the question is, do you have a desire to please God? Do you have a desire to learn more about Christ? Do you have a desire to be one who is characterized by the likeness of Christ and not by the likeness of Satan? Is that desire there? How we learned Christ through knowledge and righteousness and holiness those kinds of things, we continue to abide in those things as Christians. The reason I read what I read from the Old Testament this morning about David, David was a believer when he committed that sin. He wasn't a non-believer. He was a Christian, an Old Testament saint, if you will. Yet even this man who loved the Lord deeply, who was committed to serving God faithfully on the occasion and the circumstances being just right with the temptation he followed through with it and committed a very, very ungodly act before his Lord. He did come to repentance. Psalm 51, Psalm 32 records that for us. But the point is, and this is something that Alistair Begg said, it is a day-by-day effort to be Christ-like. It is a day-by-day effort that we put these things into practice. We are to put off the old self. It is corrupt. And it was Edward Donnelly that said, if you take a piece of meat and you put it outside and you just leave it out, And the summer we had this past year, that heat, what's going to happen to that piece of meat? It's going to become putrid. It's going to begin to stink. It's going to begin to have uh, bugs in it. And it's going to begin to be sickening. Something that would be not desirous to eat whatsoever. Well, that's what he says. And we were like our corruption. It was a detestable thing. It was, if you will, a nauseating thing, our corruption. 
because it was so offensive to God. No one can say that I was not that bad before the Lord. And we recognize this. There are people that, uh, that do things that are horrendous. And we can say, well, I haven't done this kind of thing. Well, that's good. Before Christ, you're still corrupt. Before Christ, you're still one that is uh, defiled. One that has no good thing in you as far as anything righteous. Or that would cause God to look at you and say, I am well pleased with you. But after conversion, after we become Christians, then God looks at us and we can do things that are quite pleasing to him. And he delights in them. You notice here in the text, and this is something that's so important for us to see. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, and Paul knows they were. We read that in the book of Acts. They were under his tutelage. To put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Notice these desires he tells us here. They're deceitful. The desire that promises you, here is what you need to be happy. Here is what you need to be successful. Here is what you need and where you need to be as far as being happy in your life. Deception. And you can imagine this individual who says, well... I have put so much into this relationship. I've done all the work. I've done all the crying. I put forth all the effort and they've done nothing. They've done nothing. And here's an opportunity for me to be happy. And I deserve to be happy. I know a man. Y'all don't know him. Steve Thacker knows him was studying for the ministry. One evening, Christmas Eve, his phone rang and he answered and his wife also picked up on the other line. He was getting ready to leave her. She confronted him. He said this, well, I was going to wait till after Christmas, but I'll go ahead and leave now because I deserve to be happy. Not like that. Not like that at all. Edward Donnelly said that when we carry through with these kind of desires that are really ungodly, they seem to hold the bowl of gold, but it's really a bowl of poison that not only is ultimately... Uh, the individual hurts, but the hurts of lives of so many others around them. Devastation. Here's this is. This is what I need. This is what I want to be happy. And come hell or high water, I'm going to get this no matter what. And you see the selfishness there. Sin is a very... Very, very, very 
powerful influence and effect. It is difficult at times to say no. But we are promised in Scripture that God will be with us and give us the strength and the energy that we need to say no. And it is interesting that those who are dealing with those desires are entirely unreasonable. There is a movie. If you haven't seen it, you ain't got a TV. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. Frank Capra. Classic, classic movie, which was not successful when it was released, but it became more and more uh, popular. Uncle Billy lost $8,000. He put it in a man named Mr. Potter, who's kind of an Ebenezer Scrooge character, in his newspaper and gave it back to him and didn't have the money to put in the bank. So Uncle Billy and George, played by Jimmy Stewart, are looking all over the town for this money. And he says to Uncle Billy, Think, think. Where'd you, where'd you leave the money? You've got to think, think. And he says, I can't, George. I can't think anymore. It hurts to think. That's the unreasonable person who is casting aside all that they know to be right and proper and refusing to reason through it and basically stop themselves and say this, What is this going to do to my life? What is this going to do to my relationships with others and my family? What's going to be the end result of this? And we talk to ourselves. We reason with ourselves. And that does a great deal for us to put on the brakes and stop. We are to put off the old self. Where I used to work, we bought soybeans. I don't know what to do with them. I just know what we did with them. And there was a soybean pit in the back. Well, after the end of the season, there are beans in the bottom of that pit that are just rank. There are mice living in there. I had the job one day to go clean out that soybean pit with another fellow. We got through, went back to the nursery where I was working in the nursery. And my boss said, y'all need to go home and clean up. And change your clothes because y'all stink. We were rancid. We were filled with unpleasantness. That's what sin does to us. It was not dealt with. That is exactly what sin does to us. Very quickly at the to end it up then. Uh, we are to be renewed in the spirit of the mind. That means this. We have to think about it. We have to use our intellect. We have to reason and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so here it is. Who are we to be like? We're to be like Jesus. We're to be like Christ. And we have this new image, you see, that has been created in us. And that is the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you care about that? Does it matter at all to you? That here's what God says I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be like Jesus in everything. But I don't care. I don't care. Because it's just too much trouble. It's just too hard. I don't care. If that's your attitude, you're not saved. I don't think. I don't think. We are to put on the likeness of Jesus. And righteousness and holiness 
and the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That's the commandments. That's the mandate. So we can't say and compartmentalize our lives and say basically, well, I will be submissive here, but not here. Because I just don't have it in me to do it. As we live our lives, you recognize that you will be tempted for the rest of your life. I think it was Alistair Begg that says, this renewing is every day. It never goes away. Every single day. Be renewed in the inner man. How? Fighting. Striving against sin. Reading the Bible. Spending time in prayer. And knowing your weaknesses. I like Clint Eastwood. That guy's still making movies. His last one's called The Juror. He's like 95 years old. I think this is his last film. I do know that uh, John Williams, who wrote a bunch of soundtracks for a whole bunch of movies, this last Indiana Jones film is his last soundtrack. He's 95 years old. Maybe 94. His last soundtrack. There was a line in one of Clint Eastwood movies, and he said this, a man's got to know his limitations. We have to know our limitations. Where are we weak? Where will we fall? Where do we need to avoid in order to do what we are told here, to put on the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So be on guard against the old attitudes, the old ways, the old way of thinking, because they are still there. They're not gone. They're still there. But be on guard against them. You know them. You know what they are. And you know when they arise. So we have to be on guard against them and give them no headway whatsoever. And then dedicate our lives day by day to living more like the Lord Jesus. That ain't easy. It's not easy. But keep in mind, God will help you. You pray in sincerity, God will help you. He will help you do the things that you need to do as you plead before him to give you that help. And the question I would leave you with this morning as we go home is do you know uh, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have this desire to see that this new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness is a part of your life? Are you converted? Do you truly know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you playing at religion? The wonderful thing about Christ is no matter how you've failed, no matter what you've done, no matter how grievous it is, Christ will accept you. He will accept you. And he will open up his arms and welcome you into his kingdom. And he will help you when you're in need. Remember the Hebrews text, chapter 4. We have not a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace, that we may find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray.